Welcome to Ticking Stock with Kelly McMillan. If the name sounds like a business show to you, then you've got it all wrong. Kelly McMillan is the principal of McMillan Fiberglass Stocks and will talk about shooting for fun, competition, hunting, and self-defense. Now, here is your host, Kelly McMillan. Welcome to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. I'm your host, and for the next hour, we're going to talk about just about everything related to firearms. We're going to start this show off with our Collegiate Spotlight segment. Today, we have Lori Goodwin from the University of Alabama at Birmingham. Um, Lori, uh, tell us about uh, Alabama-Birmingham shooting program, what kind of program you have, and, and, and what kind of shooting you do. Thanks for having me on today. Um, our our program started back in 1992. I was lucky enough to be on that team and shoot for the next three years. After that, I became the coach, and I've been the coach there for the last 22 years. Um, we shoot. We began shooting air rifle this year. We have added small bore so that we can become more competitive with all the other colleges that are that are shooting now. So you have an air rifle and a small bore team, and is it NCAA sanctioned? It is. We're a Division One school, NCAA sanctioned. We are in the Southern Conference. Uh, the rest of our school is uh, in Conference USA, but there are not enough Conference USA schools to have rifles, so we are actually with SOCON. Awesome. Uh, how many shooters do you have in your program normally at any given time? Um, I have actually grown quite a bit. Uh, this year I have 16 student-athletes. Awesome. And we were, at one point, an all-women's team, but now we are co-ed. Well, that that's great because we love anybody who helps women get uh, involved in the shooting sports, and uh, that's uh, something that's been uh, a big uh, focus of mine to try to help women be more comfortable around firearms and, and to get in, involved in the competitive sports. And one thing that you know, and I like to share this every chance I get, it may be the only sport that women can compete on an equal basis with men and actually w- win. Exactly. That's really what I love about the sport the most is that it's gender equal. Absolutely. Um, does uh, Alabama Birmingham have a um, scholarship program for shooters? We do. I do have scholarship money that is available every year for any shooter that would like to apply. Great. Do is there a significant number of scholarship shooters? You have a certain amount. I just I'm I'm trying to figure out for the people who are listening uh, if they decide that. Alabama Birmingham is the place they want to go to school whether or not that, that there's going to be an opportunity for them to get some of their education paid for by shooting. Right. What I usually do is and it's it's a case by case basis. Um, I'm allotted a certain number of scholarships and I can take those scholarships and then divide them up so that everyone gets a portion of the money. Do you recruit? I do recruit. So if somebody was interested in being recruited, how would they get in touch with you and let you know what type of uh, competition they shoot and where they might be so you could uh, take a look at them? On our UAB website, they can go to the athletics page under rifle, and we have a questionnaire that they can fill out, 
and that gets them kind of in my system and on my radar if they're interested. Hey, Lori Zev here. How are you? Hey. Yeah, I wanted to ask you, um, I know that you are a senior military college. Can you tell us a bit about your Corps of Cadets? Hello? Hello? Lori, do you hear me? I'm sorry. Can you tell me, repeat that question? Sure, and we can edit this out so that that'll be okay. It's a pre-record. You are a senior military college, right? Uh, we have Army ROTC at our school. Okay, do you have any Corps of Cadets or... I actually do. I have three student athletes right now who are in the in ROTC. One of them is actually the battalion commander. Oh, okay, great. Thank you. Would you do us a favor and uh, spell out the website just to make sure that everybody can find it? Uh, sure. It is. It's just uab.edu. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, I, I thought maybe you were you're using the abbreviation when you'd have to spell it out, but that's good. UAB.edu. Awesome. Well, Lori, I want to thank you for your participation in the shooting sports and all the dedication you've put in in the last 22 years. I know that it's something that uh, has probably been a challenge for you to get uh, people to participate and, and for the administration to understand how important this is. But I really appreciate all the work you've done, and thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Great. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome, and good luck this season. Thank you. Okay, on to our next guest. Um, Caleb Hallett he's, has been uh, a friend of mine for a number of years. We actually met the first time when he called me up to to help sponsor uh, a shooting event that he does. So I want to get right into it. Caleb, thanks for being on the show. Hey, thank you for having me. So let's let's get right to the the meat of the story. Uh, tell us a little bit about you, about where you grew up, why you're so vested in firearms, and and what it was about competition that you got you to start this event. Uh, I grew up in Eastern Washington. Um, never really grew up in a firearms family necessarily. Uh, I really learned how to shoot and and be interested in shooting by being around friends and um, other influences on my life. And I just tried to kind of align myself with those people so that I could go out and do that more often. Um, did a little hunting in high school, then joined the military straight after high school. That's really where I was really uh, submerged into different firearms, different calibers, um, platforms, um, and really learned more about the fundamentals of shooting, I think, is where I got my base was in the military. Um, after I got out, I was uh, big into coyote hunting, um, wanted to stretch my range a little bit further, and got hooked up with Miller Ranch out of eastern Washington. It's a game preserve. And the owner, Scott, um, asked me if I wanted to guide there for Upland Game. And ever since that time that I've worked for him, I've had a good relationship with him. I've hunted his land for years and years. And I uh, kind of was wondering if there's any competitions that could be inclusive to the hunter in the area. There was tactical shoots and there was F-class and stuff like that around, but there wasn't 
you know, something that would really concentrate on maybe one shot, clean kills on game. And so I kind of put some stuff out there to see if there'd be interest in it. There was, so I started putting things together, getting targets. Um, and we started our first shoot in the spring of 2012 um, there at Miller Ranch. And we've done shoots down in Hell's Canyon in Idaho. Uh, mainly we do them out of uh, Miller Ranch in Sprague, Washington. But um, we do small game, which is life-sized solid steel targets, um, usually out to about 600 yards or so, maybe a little further, depending on what kind of crowd we got. And then usually the end of the season for us is about May or so. So we shoot all through the winter kind of the off season for all the other sports. Um, and that shoot, we have big game targets as well as the small game. They have wood frames and then steel vitals that swing. And we only score those with a, a good vitals hit on that steel plate. And those go out usually to a thousand yards, maybe a little bit over that. But, um, you know, a lot of guys come out, kids, wives, girlfriends, daughters and they all come out and we've actually had a girl that was i want to say she is 12 years old that has won that annual event uh twice now not back-to-back years but uh she comes out does a lot of shooting with her dad which is a big prs shooter and um she kind of shows some people how it's done so i want to back up just a little bit caleb you talked about your military experience what branch were you in I was in the Army. Uh, any specialty? Um, infantry. I was a, a grenadier in a squad. Um, we were the first striker group to go over to Iraq back in 2003-2004. Well, thanks for your, your uh, service. I, I really appreciate people who, who are willing to put their life on the line for our freedom. That's one of the things that uh, has always been near and dear to my heart. I really appreciate you doing that for us. Sure, I'm glad I could do it. Yeah. So you started this uh, competition, and it's unlike any other competition that I know of. Do you agree with that? Um, There is, I think the most similar one that I've really come in contact with would probably be Spirit Ridge Rifle Golf out of Utah, North Utah. They do the Vortex Challenge there. Mm-hmm. Okay, I've um, heard of that. But it it didn't sound like it was the same type of setup with animal targets and stuff. Uh, they do have big game, but I don't oh, know that okay. they have any of the small games. So it is more unique in that sense. I think as the years go on, more and more people are trying to come up with more shoots, but at the time, uh, they were the only ones that I knew of that had anything remotely like it. Um, I have a suggestion for you just to try to maybe help you keep your uh, event fresh and maybe have a new idea. Uh, you said you were doing some upland game guiding, so obviously you've done some shotgun shooting, right? Sure, yep. Well, nobody, I mean, I would love to have a a long-range shotgun competition. I mean, if you've ever shot sporting clays, you know that uh, a target, you know, 60 or 70 yards away is hittable, 
but it's a really challenge. That would be cool to to throw that in there, even if just as a side event to be able to to let shooters try to figure out how to how to break a clay target at seventy or eighty yards. That would be cool. Yeah, um, that's been a, a partial idea that's gone along for many years. I've really thought about trying to do uh, all inclusive sportsmen's challenge. Really, the problem that hangs me up is the logistics of having people to help run it. But I've thought about maybe doing a little bit of archery, uh, maybe a defensive pistol, like if we could get a bear target that would almost rush you. Um, <laughs> Miller Ranch does have a sporting clays range. Um, you know, just make it a, a really a sportsman's challenge instead of just a long range rifle shoot. Uh, it just when putting on a shoot, there's so many factors that go into it and all the help that is needed uh, really puts a damper on some of the ideas and making them really, I guess, take off and, and be successful. Well, maybe we can help with that. Um, any of my listeners out there in the Washington, Eastern, or yeah, Eastern Washington area that would love to get involved in helping Caleb with this event, um, just contact me and I'll, I'll get you the contact information. Maybe we can get you some people who are interested in helping out and, and uh, take some of the pressure off you and you'll be able to do some of this other, these other things that you want to do. Yeah, that'd be great. Bring some uh, fresh air to the sport a little bit, you know, keep it evolving with the shooters. You uh, started this um, shoot in 2012, and if, if I remember correctly, that seems about the same time that I got involved with, with helping you sponsor it. Uh, have, have I been involved from the very beginning? Uh, I think it was actually, I want to say the last four years or, or so. Um, okay. Seems like a lot longer than that. 14 or so, but I know okay. the first stock that you ever... Uh, gave me a certificate for to use for the shoots was directed towards uh, a youth shooter. And I think that's one of the the coolest things that I've had requested from a sponsor is to make sure that a youth gets it instead of possibly uh, an adult that's completely fitted with their kit and, and maybe they're not going to use it. Maybe they're going to sell it. But, um, you know, we try to keep the youth involved and try to get them recruited and and that was that was pretty cool when we had that happen at that shoot. Well, from now on, whenever I send a stock, I'll make sure that I request it be for the youth because that's something that we like to do. I, I know just from personal experience, I used to sh- send a, a certificate down to a shoot down in Texas. And every year I'd get a call from the same guy who won it by winning this certain event and he'd won another stock. And, you know, after four or five years, I, I thought to myself, why do I keep giving this guy stocks? One, he's the best shooter out there. That's why he keeps winning. He's not the one that needs it. But, you know, he either buys them and, and sells a gun or whatever. So I've decided that, you know, we're going to do it so it's not always the best shooter that wins it because they rarely are the one that need it. Definitely. Yeah, there's uh, adults. There could be children and guys that just get into the sport. Maybe they buy a, a factory-made package gun that will just get them by, and they get something like that in their hands, and it's like you just change their you know, their shooting career, their shooting life, maybe you help them out that much to where, you know, that just really fans the flames for their sport. 
Let's let our listeners know exactly how to get in touch with you, how they can find out more about your match and, and what you do. Uh, yeah, Facebook is probably the easiest uh, way to find me. That's Sportsman's Challenge on Facebook. Um, I have a website that gets updated here and there, but I really keep Facebook up up to date. Um, the website is www dot sportsman's challenge dot weebly dot com and that's w e e b l y correct okay so sportsman's challenge weebly dot weebly dot com um and you've got a couple other facebook pages but if the one that if they really want to find out about the uh event it's facebook.com slash sportsman's challenge yeah, that's correct. The other one is just a long-range shooter, and that's just a place that I share a lot of my events. I have shared other events um, and good knowledge that comes out on Facebook. Sometimes I'll post some stuff, maybe some caliber-specific stuff or whatever, but um, kind of just a general Facebook that people can go on and, and see stuff, too. When we ask you to send in a little bit of a bio, it mentions that uh, your farthest well-placed group to date has been a one MOA group at 1,830 yards. Uh, Tell us about that, what you used, what caliber, what the conditions were, how that came about. Yeah, I was putting on a shoot for long range only, which is a forum now. Um, It was started by Sean Carlock. It also involves Jess Brozovich. and I just was, I just hit Sean with the idea of putting on a club shoot. And so we did it out there and we had a, a huge steel is like a water tank end that was set up and had a bunch of guys sitting there and we'd all been shooting on it. And I got a chance to get up on it. And once I got on target, um, I sent three shots down there out of a, a seven, 300 wind mag that I had built. And um, I was kind of amazed. I mean, I'd never shot groups really at a mile. I'd shot a lot of stuff at 1,000 yards or less, but I thought, you know, I get good results in close. Let's try it with these guys and see what happens. And it's uh, pretty impressive. So let me get this straight. You said a 7-300 wind mag. So is that a 300 wind mag case neck to 7 mil? Yeah, that's right. There isn't really any other difference other than that. Nice and question. Uh, what kind of bullet? Uh, I was shooting a 180 burger at about 3,150 feet per second. Oh, that's cooking. Yeah, it was smoking pretty good, but um, really did good at hitting that steel. Not too far from where you're at is a good friend of mine, Bob Beck, who is the um, host of Extreme Outer Limits. He, he does... Um, a hunting show that doesn't specialize in long range uh, hunting, but involves a lot of it. And and he shot a lot of animals at a thousand yards or, or more. He's he's really high on the the new uh, 195 burgers in the seven mil, uh, either in a, a 28 uh, Nosler or in a regular seven uh, Remington Ultra Mag. Um, those sevens just seem to fly really good. Yeah, they do. Um, I think they're not real finicky. Um, I've never been a huge 
proponent of the seven millimeter. I've never really been against it. Uh, I just liked the sound of that big bullet going at a good clip and thinking about what it would do when it hit game because really that's what I try to gear my rifles towards is um, hunting. So if I use them on steel, then it's great practice for out in the field. Yeah, uh, I've never been a, a seven mil proponent either. My father was a real big 300 win mag, and I still believe that there isn't anything that you can't do with a 300 win mag. You can load them from 140s all the way up to 230s, and uh, it'll shoot a long ways. Uh, uh, necking them down to seven, I think, is a uh, is just a way to, you know, kind of cut the boredom with just the standard 300 or the 30 caliber. But, um, yeah, the 300 is a great cartridge, and it's it, there's, like I said, nothing you can't do with it. Yeah, great case. Um, you have any hunts planned this season? Yeah, actually, here in a week and a half, we have a cow season opening up in North Idaho. Um, I live in Coeur d'Alene now, so uh, this elk season opens up for a few days. It took a little bit of time of work. Uh, time off of work and um, hoping we can get a cow or, or possibly a bull knocked down. But we've got some tags for multiple animals and, and really just going to get up on a high point and do a bunch of glass and then see what we can find. Coeur d'Alene's a beautiful place. Uh, I'm not going to admit this if anybody calls me on it, but I've actually played golf at the Coeur d'Alene Golf Course. It's, you know, it's it's legendary for the floating green, I think, on seven or something like that. And, but but that entire area, I can see why you moved there. It's just, it's really gorgeous. Uh, good luck on your hunt. That That's going to be fun. Yeah, thanks a lot. It's, it's in a beautiful spot. Yeah, you, you know, most people that are gun people just feel like um, a golf course is a good waste of a range. So I don't often talk <laughs> about playing golf around people who shoot. Yeah, I can agree with that. There's more uses for a golf ball uh, when you have a rifle. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned uh, the um, rifle golf uh, event in Utah. Yeah, Spirit Ridge Rifle Golf. Yeah, I've I've heard of that before. That sounds like that might be fun. Yeah, I think they have a course something like ten mile or seven miles or something like that that you can ride on ATVs or you can rent them there or something like that. Um, and that would get you to your shooting positions that they have set up down there. Great. Well, Caleb, I really appreciate you being on the show. It's been fun having you. Uh, good luck with your hunt and um, anything I can do to help you out with your event or any events that you get involved with, you know, I'd be happy to do it. Love to, to sponsor and we'll make sure we specify that anything we do is for junior shooters. That sounds great. Thanks for having me on today. You're welcome. And I'd like to ask all of my listeners to stand by while we take a short commercial break and we'll be right back. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. 
Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The opening kickoff is a beauty. It's a fly ball deep right field. That goes O'Neal. He's at the shot. Got it. With 2.8 seconds left. He's still out. I don't care where they put him. From high school to the pros, we we cover everything. everything. Let your voice be heard. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Thanks for sticking around through the commercial break. I really appreciate it. Uh, our next guest is an interesting guy. I met him for the first time at the Dallas Safari Club when he was there representing his company, and I was there, you know, trying to sell some rifles back when I had the rifle company. His name is Bob Northrup. Bob, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming on. It's uh, really nice to talk to you again. Um, we usually start off with just a little bio. Tell us a little bit about you, where you grew up, how you got involved in in shooting sports, and, and what you're doing uh, today. Okay. Well, I'm 62. I, I am in Michigan. I'm in Ludington, Michigan now. I grew up in Lansing, Michigan. And as a little kid, I, uh, I hunted right from the get-go. I, I remember my my first BB gun, I it was a slide slide pump daisy, and uh, I used to have to put all my weight on it, plus wiggle and jump a little bit in order to cock it. So I was pretty young and pretty lightweight back then. But I've always enjoyed hunting and, and the shooting. Um, I was a builder for most of my career, most of it here in Ludington, Michigan, a residential builder. Then I got sidetracked a little bit. I, I was out elk hunting out uh out west and always interested in elk and i don't know i'm i'm out at the amber elk ranch now which i own and operate we uh started this ranch in 1999 i'm out uh next to the bull elk pen and they're bugling here they're in the full rut this time of year and uh we had a cool rain last night so they're this evening they'll really be going at it and bugling um so, yeah, I hear you back there. Crazy. You know, that's an interesting yeah. sound. And for people who have <laughs> never been out in the field and actually heard elk bugle, it's a, it, it's almost unbelievable that that sound comes out of an animal as big as an elk. Right. That that sound plus the the chirps of the cows and things are quite unusual. Uh-huh. I was hunting on a ranch in New Mexico, northern New Mexico, one time, and it was 
right during the middle of the rut, and I'll bet you I sat for over 15 minutes where there was never any more than 15 seconds that one or another bull wasn't uh, um, bugling at the same time. It, it was yeah. really an incredible symphony. All right, something you'll probably never forget. So let's talk about um, Amber Elk Ranch. Um, What is it? What do you do? And and why is it important to to Elks? Well, uh, we're we're a small ranch, 130 acres. Um, We've got about, uh, we've sustained 130 to 150 elk at a time. We're primarily a breeding ranch. Um, I do offer hunts and that's what I was offering when I was down at the Dallas Safari Club show and, and met you. Um, we offer hunts, not at Amber Elk Ranch, but off premise at, at other hunting preserves. And we've got some of the biggest elk, uh, in the U S and so we, you know, we market those and, and, uh, we've gotten in the SCI record book a few times. And so it's a lot of fun meeting people that come out and uh, hunt the big bulls and from uh, all over the U.S. And so uh, I like to I like to take the other hunters out and pursue pursue our elk. We're primarily a breeding ranch. We are open for tours of the ranch. We do wagon ride tours through the summer. They last about an hour. We come right out in in the different paddocks with the elk and. Uh, when we go on the cow, the cow uh, pen, they'll come right up and eat out of the people's hands. So the kids, everybody enjoys having the elk come up. And uh, this time of year, there's a lot of bugling going on, and, and we're right, right in full rut. Is um, our elk natural to Michigan? Uh, yeah, they were. I think it was like um, they're indigenous up to about. Um, I think 1882, somewhere in there. And that was the last known elk that were actually free roaming. And then uh, we're in Mason County, which is halfway up the lower peninsula. And, and Mason County was one of the last places that they actually knew of. They had recorded that uh, elk were free ranging. And then when they were reintroduced about 40 years later, they started reintroducing them. Now we do have a free-ranging herd in the state. Is there and, enough uh, uh, public land or, or non-private lands uh, for them to, to range freely and, and, and grow uh, their herd? Yeah, there, there's a lot of, of public land in Michigan and to take advantage of. And uh, the elk are up in the northern part more to where there's a lot of, a lot of area for them to roam. And they have spread out throughout the state somewhat. Um, but they're mostly up in the northeast region where it's where it's not too populated. So, in order for you to offer a hunt, uh, do, does Michigan have landowner tags like, say, New Mexico does? Uh, all of our hunts are um, high fence operation hunts on a preserve. No license is required in Michigan for for that type of hunt. So, it's a benefit to us to to not have to hunt in season, a particular season, and we can choose whatever weapon we want. So, um, Well, you use nice. that dreaded word, so I'm going to 
I want to talk about it because I've actually done high fence hunts both in Texas and in South Africa. Uh, We were hunting on a 22,000 acre ranch in in South Africa. The animals didn't know there was a fence there, and I sure as hell never knew there was a fence there. But um, I, I, I want you to talk to me about why the misconception that people have of high fence hunting and, and why what you do is offering a valid hunting experience for people? Well, there's some people that uh, they don't want to see any animal in a, behind a fence. So no domestic animals, no animals. And then there's people that don't want to see uh, a royal animal like an elk behind a fence. But um, without high fence hunting, our ranch wouldn't be here. Without our ranch, we're the largest uh, private ranch in in Michigan with the most with the most elk. Um, without without the high fence hunting, uh, these elk wouldn't be in existence. And one thing uh, people always ask me, well, why'd you get in it? Well, how'd you how'd you come about being having this ranch and and everything, and you know, most people that that have the elk or whitetail, um, it's because they for the love of the animal. They they wanted the animals. For me, I was going out west hunting. I had my building business, and for me to take more than about a a week off to go out west would have been suicide for my building business. I I, I was a uh, small potatoes contractor with up to like 10 employees in the summer to where I was hands-on every day. And uh, to leave for more than a week was real tough for me. I, I, I love the elk hunting out in Utah and New Mexico. I wanted to spend more time around the elk, so I brought the elk elk to me. Our, our first elk came out of Ohio and uh, Michigan, some out of Quebec. And so the high fence hunting and the and and the raising the elk um is more to be around around the majestic animals for what it is for most people. I kinda compare it to a cross between cattle ranching and, and raising uh racehorses, you know. You're always trying to raise an elk that's that's bigger and better and uh the best best elk size rack and the best style that you can you can get and uh it's always exciting to see what what your new offspring is going to be every spring so um the the elk are so versified that it makes it uh possible for somebody with um without a real huge investment and without a whole lot of acres Getting into agriculture is pretty tough these days with um, the size of the land that you need to have or lease and size of equipment you need and, and the investment and the knowledge. Where the elk, we're on 130 acres, we're able to raise 130, 150 elk here and be profitable with it. The, um, so I, I guess it's something that a lot of people want to do. A lot of people want to semi-retire and do it. And by the way, I, I got the elk and got a little carried away here and uh, quit quit contracting, quit my residential business to take care of this full-time. So 
I guess the reason I brought the elk here was because I couldn't get away, and then I got kind of caught up in raising them and, and uh, took care of the investment we had here rather than uh, continue building. But, um, I had a question. Um, you, you mentioned 150. Is that about the inventory you like to keep, uh, the herd you yeah, like to keep, or do you bring it down to a certain amount every year? How does that work? We've been up over 200 elk, and it, it depends a lot on your property, um, how much, how well your pasture grows, and your type of soils. To where, um, with the elk, they're primary like grazers. I've heard it said that elk are 80% grazers, 20% browsers. Where like a white-tailed deer is um, 80% browser, 20% uh, grazer. So. It really helps with the economics to have good pasture, and they help do well when they have good pasture to, to graze on. Um, our entire farm's divided up in different paddocks. I think we've got 14 different paddocks that uh, that we have to to have the different elk. We keep them, you know, like the calves have been weaned, and they're on one pen now, and they'll, they'll stay in that group till the middle of next summer. Then they'll separate the males and females. Uh, we've got a couple uh, bull groups now. For the bulls to be together, we've got uh, three breeder groups with a single sire breeder. We did do some artificial insemination this year. I think back in, uh, let's see, I think it was back in 1983, uh, Martin Wincuff and uh, another guy developed artificial insemination. It took about three or four years to get it figured out to where it worked. And so we do artificially inseminate some of the cows now to use to bring in different bloodlines, different genetics. Um, over on the industry, it's it's about a 60 to 70 percent conception rate average for artificial insemination. Those are pretty. Those are pretty good numbers. And how large would you say is your largest high fenced area that you have? How many acres? Uh, about 20 acres. But okay. We, you know, we. We supplement feed, feed our elk. Our elk are fed very well. In order to get the the uh, biggest antler growth out of them, you have to give them the groceries and the minerals. And so, um, besides the grazing, uh, now we're greening daily. We give them grain, and plus, most of them have hay supplement if if they choose to have some hay. So, the elk, um, you know, if we had a thousand acre pen. They'd all be together in one spot unless there's a large group. And then we, we keep up to about 25 animals per group. And they're such a herd-oriented animal that they'll go they'll all lay down together. It'll be a, a little knoll or a little shaded area. They'll all go there to, together to lay down. They, they stick together as a group. And uh, if you put one in by itself, usually it depends on the elk, but usually it's nervous and wants to get in with with other elk, um, there's been other other ranches and things where where a bull or animal will get out, and within a couple of days it'll wander back and be on the outside of the fence, and they're usually looking for a way to get back in. Uh, well, that's probably a, a good thing in uh, a way that you're not too worried about losing your uh, part of your investment. Uh, Bob, I've got lots of more questions, uh, but we're going to take a short commercial break. Uh, so I want to ask you to stick around, and we'll be back in about uh, a minute or two. Go, 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 go. 
internet flagship station for sports. Sports. For over 40 years, Macmillan USA has been at the leading edge of the gunstock industry. The company was born out of the desire to improve and perfect form, function, and precision with every one of their premium fiberglass stocks. From tactical to hunting to competitive shooting, Macmillan stocks are designed to dominate. Their signature three-way adjustable butt plates, adjustable cheek pieces, rail mounts, and adapters provide a versatile platform built on performance. Over 65 custom finishes are available, ranging from solid colors to camouflage. Check out the Macmillan website for hundreds of stocks available for immediate delivery. And for those wanting something more specialized, call the knowledgeable and friendly staff at Macmillan for a complete list of options at 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. Again, that's 877-365-6148 or visit MacmillanUSA.com. We're talking Western Ambush this week on The Revolution with Jim and Trav, taking a closer look at all the amazing big game hunting opportunities found in the Western states. Joining us is Jason Matzinger, host of Into High Country, Jill Gector from Cinch Jeans, Dean Capuano of Sawarski Optic Quest, and Freddie Hartice of Hollywood Hunter. It's presented by Outdoor Channel, Sportsman Channel, World Fishing Network, and My Outdoor TV. Friday afternoons at 1 Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. Looking for exciting video content live and on demand? Visit www.voiceamerica.tv for exclusive content you just can't find anywhere else. That's voiceamerica.tv. Tune in now. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need a bitch's ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up, speak up, or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. You are listening to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Thanks for sticking around. Um, we've got a real great guest on here, Bob Northrup. Uh, I have some very pointed questions I want to ask him and make sure that, that Bob's really clear. You've, you've talked to us about having big elk and, and growing them specifically for their genetics. But, you know, we always hear rumors about a guy who shot a 430 or 440-inch uh, elk in Utah, but you know, it had been given growth hormones and it was artificially, when you talk about breeding your animals, you do it strictly naturally with, with genetics and, and the food that you feed them, no growth hormone or no, no unnatural um, drugs. Right. Given. We're, we, uh, animals get big from genetics, um, the care, if they're in a relaxed atmosphere, good conditions. They can't, uh, you know, they got to be in a out where they can grow in moderate temperatures and, and not stressed out. You have to keep them parasite free. We do uh, worm the animals both through the feed, and then we do handle animals in the barn where they'll be given a shot for for parasite control. So we have to keep up on the parasites. As far as hormones and things, um, we don't do any of that. And really, I don't think there's uh, any anybody that I know of that's, that's doing that. Um, most of the hormones uh, 
I know in the past that they've, they've tried um, giving, giving them stuff like they've given cattle before, and it's just worked in, in reverse. So uh, we're, we're about trying, we're in the challenge, the competition of trying to grow them bigger by genetics. And, uh, and, but the feed is important. One thing that we found in the elk, um, everybody talks in the deer industry, and it might be so in the deer, but I don't think so. But they always talk about the protein ratings and how feeding them protein and getting that protein up there. We found with the elk that the best protein feed is about a 15.5% protein. And then uh, my secret additive to a well-balanced grain mix that we feed is our top dress with sunflower seeds, which is pretty pretty unique in the elk. Uh, business, but it's catching on. They, they are they are good with protein, but the the, the uh, fiber and the um, oil content, the fat. We're finding out that the carbohydrates that you feed these animals is important both in the winter time and in the spring antler growth. So, no, we don't use the hormones um, or any synthetic additives. We do feed good groceries and a good grain mix. Uh, and good forage, but um, yeah, most of that uh, rumors of hormones and things, I, I think is pretty false. I, I know quite a few of the top breeders in the elk business throughout the U.S., and um, I don't know if anybody that's doing it. You mentioned that you don't hunt on your ranch, but you occasionally do a hunt. Uh, I'm assuming that means that you provide one of your bulls to another one of the ranches where they actually can facilitate a hunt, and and, and right. you would facilitate that hunt that way. Is that correct? Correct, yeah. I, I usually go and guide the hunts myself, and um, we do that. I've done more of it in the past than I'm doing now, the the market for the elk is so strong right now that um, we can wholesale the animals and and uh, do fine that way. And uh, I got a little more time to keep an eye on my breeding ranch rather than being off premise for. So your main purpose in raising elk is to provide elk to other ranches that are trying to to breed and develop a herd. Is that right? Yeah, that's my main goal. The, the elk, you know, they're quite versatile. The, the elk meat is high in protein, very low in cholesterol, and very low in fat. It's comparable or better stats than uh, skinless chicken breast. And then everybody likes the elk meat. You know, it doesn't have doesn't have the, the wild flavor to it. Um, people love it. It sells well, and we can't keep up with it. Uh, so you have the the meat market. You also have the, the velvet antler market where antlers are taken off 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 the bulls in the springtime, June, first part of July, when they're about half grown, they kept frozen. And then most of those go uh, overseas. Korea consumes six hundred tons of velvet antler a year. The, the term velvet antler is misleading or velvet because actually the velvet on the outside of the antler isn't isn't consumed. It's it's the uh, ingredients inside. And in Asia, they 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 dry the antler in in drying rooms, and then it goes out to the natural pharmaceutical people, and then they slice that up like a American fry, and then they, the 
people take that and make a tea out of it, and then they consume that tea. There's things in the antler. Go ahead. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me that the Koreans would have any idea what natural benefits there would be in an elk antler, because I'm not aware of any elk originating from Korea. Yeah, I don't know where they got it originally from. Uh, maybe the maybe the red stags throughout Europe, or um, I know that they've consumed it for since Christ's time. And yeah. They do it because it works. 15% of the antler in Korea is given to the youth as a preventative medicine. Uh, The worst thing for the velvet antler not being a big hit in the U.S. is it started out, people thought it was an aphrodisiac. But it actually does have a lot of benefits. If there was some more research done on it, um, it would probably be sold here in the U.S. more than what it is. It is. Here in the U.S., they take the velvet antler and they uh, freeze-dry it. They take the velvet off, off the outside and they pulverize the rest of the antler and put it in capsules. And that's how it's consumed in the U.S. It does boost up your immune system. It does, it does have a side effect of boosting up your testosterone. But um, that's another avenue for the market. What we like the best is selling breeding stock, selling uh, pregnant cows, bred cows. Uh, in the winter time, the other people uh, in the business. By the way, in our, we have a national association, and in our association, there's 327 farms in the U.S. that are are NEBA members. North American Elk Breeders Association. Uh, NEBA was started up in 1990, so the industry wasn't. Uh, isn't too old. We started this. I had elk for a little bit, and we, I started up the Amber Elk Ranch with a partner back in 1999. Bought my partner, Al Hardman, out in 2006. But in the U.S., uh, according to state uh, governments, there's 36,002 elk in the U.S.A., and up in Canada, there's 26,761 farmed elk. Alberta's got the I uh, got the most elk up there, and they've got 13,008 elk. Um, Michigan, 20 years ago, had about 5,500 elk behind fence. Now, now the DNR says about 1,170. And so um, there's 32 states in the U.S. that, that has farmed elk. So. Arizona is not one of them. We're not allowed to sell elk. Um, to uh, for any commercial purpose, so there isn't anybody in the state right now that I'm aware of that's actually raising elk for commercial purposes. You can't, unlike Colorado and some other states that I've been in, you can't go to a restaurant here in Arizona and, and order elk. It, it, there's just none available for it because there aren't any commercially grown or locally grown elk in in you can't sell a wild elk that you've harvested to a, a commercial entity. Well, Bob, this has been really exciting, um, you know, interesting to find out. You know, it sounds like one of the things I was really excited to, to hear about and kind of keeping the stress down on the elk. And, and when you think about having a, a group of elk in a pen where you're feeding them, you know, elk think about two things, just like about any wild animal, Um how to reproduce and how to maintain, you know, their, uh, 
their life by eating. So that's about really all they're concerned with. And as long as you provide those to them, have you found that that not allowing the males to fight over the females is an ad- advantage? It helps keep the stress down, or does it it change them some way? Uh, we've tried with a breeder bull. You know, one thing, a, a mature bull can cover about 50 cows um, in a season. And he'll be all run down. A, a big bull will be 1,000, 1,100 pounds on a farm. And they'll lose about 150 pounds during the mating season. So the, it's a lot of stress on, on the bull's body to process that much weight loss. Uh, it's a lot of stress on, on the bull chasing the cows around. And it's a lot of stress on the bull's Running, the, running over towards where their buddy's bugling and, and giving them a bugle back and challenging back and forth. But we've also tried putting, like, one bull, a breeder bull, we've kept him back and maybe given him one or two cows and just uh, hoped he'd just chill out and produce better antlers next year. And either way, they're, once the rut hits, they're, they're trying to... Uh, they're trying nonstop to bugle on other cows and things, and and they won't relax if if they had a if they had a hundred cows in their pen and there's one more cow on the farm not in their pen, they'd be they'd be trying to to run over and sneak that cow back into its herd. So they uh, the bulls that have never been a breeder that are together as bulls, they calm down and relax a little bit. But uh, once the bull's bred, or so he's he's just nonstop, uh, hardly sleeps, hardly eats. He just during the rut for about five weeks, he's he's pretty intense. Well, Bob, I've really enjoyed having you on the show. It's been really fun. We're out of time now, so I'm going to have to let you go. But I really appreciate you coming on, sharing all this information. This is stuff that you just don't hear every day. So I really appreciate you taking the time. All right, thank you very much. It's been an honor to to be interviewed. Thank yeah. you. I, I look forward to the next time we get a chance to get together and chat. And I want to ask all of our listeners to really um, enjoy this weekend. It's a beautiful day and, uh, you know, spend some time outdoors and, and really enjoy everything that this country has to offer. Really appreciate you listening to us for the last hour and look forward to uh, seeing you again next Friday on voiceamerica.com sports channel with Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. See you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Taking Stock with Kelly McMillan. Be sure to come back for more next Friday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time at 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Sports Channel. The weekend is here. Enjoy yourself. We'll talk again next week.